Uh, Jonah, uh, chapter 1, uh, starting at verse 1. We're going to read almost the whole book. It's going to be a lot of fun. Okay. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up, from, come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a great mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. For Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and he said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Let's stop and pray right there. Uh, God, help us to understand. Be with us. Um, give me uh, wisdom and insight as I, as I speak, and may your word uh, go forward. May we not resist it as Jonah did. I pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, there's two ways to ruin a good movie. Actually, there's more than two ways, but there's um, two ways that I've experienced. The first way is to focus on the extras, um, the incidental details. Uh, I ruined for myself the movie The Patriot, the first time I ever saw it. I promised some of you at fall conference I would talk about The Patriot. Uh, because when I, I um, went to college and I had a friend um, my freshman year named Jan Gouch. And Jan Gouch went on to pursue acting. He left college and went on to pursue acting. And I was told he was an extra in The Patriot. Not only was, I was not only told that he was an extra, but he's the extra that my friends told me that gets his head blown off by the cannonball in The Patriot. If you haven't seen The Patriot, it's like... Braveheart, but in America. And, um, and uh, so I was watching, you know, just constantly scanning the crowd, looking for Jan's uh, face, and just kind of wasn't really paying attention <laughs> to the rest of the movie. Um, the other, which, by the way, I don't think he, I, I did it like frame by frame on the DVD, and it didn't, didn't look like Jan at all. Uh, it's like, it's really funny to watch that scene, though, like one frame at a time. Um, so, um, the other way to ruin it, one way to look at the extras, but two, um, is to be a know-it-all. Or worse yet, to watch it with a know-it-all. Um, the classic movie that I learned this weekend that no, none of you have seen, uh, The Karate Kid, which you need to see it. Um, you, you just can't. All right. Yes. Good. So I watched The Karate Kid uh, in the 80s, this 80s hit movie. Uh, with a friend who had seen it like a dozen times. And every single time something was about to happen, he would tell me what was about to happen. This is the part where Daniel picks a fight with Johnny. This is the part where Mr. Miyagi rubs his hand together and cracks his ribs. This is the part where Daniel wins at the end of the movie. You know? And I was like, ah. Or a movie that you've seen a hundred times, so much so that you know what's happening next and you're not really even paying attention. So that you actually do miss those extras. You do miss those details. You do miss what made it a good movie for you in the first place. Um, both of those things are a risk for us tonight as we look at Jonah. Uh, first of all, we can focus on the extras. We can be looking for Jan Gouch. Uh, here's the thing. that if, if you don't know the story, Jonah's going to get swallowed by a great fish and then live there for three days and get vomited out. 
And the big question that everyone thinks about of Jonah is like, could that really happen? You think it was a whale? Because technically whales are mammal. Uh, you know, and it's like, like, like ancient Hebrews had a category that distinguished between like sea mammals and sea fish. Um, but we get, just get so hung up on that and never mind like miracles is a thing that's in the Bible, right? We get so focused on the fish. It's all about the fish. Let's just talk about the fish. Um, or where's John Gouch? Um, or we can be the know-it-alls. If you, especially if you grew up in the church, like you've heard this story a million times when you're a little kid. You saw the Veggie Tales movie, which is so weird, you, you know. And you can sing the song or whatever. Um, and you're like Jonah. Like we know the story, great. And we could miss some of the great ironies and some of the major themes of this wonderful book. Uh, so let's not ruin Jonah tonight. There's several things we see in the passage. First. Um, we see Jonah's resistance to God. Jonah's resistance to God. Verse 3, some of you even giggled. Uh, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. God had told him to go to Nineveh. He rose to flee to Tarshish, and it repeats three times. He's going to Tarshish, to Tarshish, to Tarshish. In one verse, the same phrase, to Tarshish, is repeated three times. This point is being made that, like, Jonah is not going there. Click on to the next slide. I I was going to describe this to you, but it's easier just to show you. So here's Nineveh, where he's supposed to go. And here's where he's headed, right? 550 miles, I get not wanting to go there. But he's exchanging a 2,500-mile journey uh, by sea vessel, which he will quickly learn is kind of dangerous, um, uh, to avoid. He's going in the complete opposite direction. It's just this complete crazy thing. We see in that the extremity of Jonah's resistance to God. Let's keep reading. Verse 7. And so the, the storm comes, right? And, and uh, they, the mariners, they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, which is kind of like rolling dice. And the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? What's his occupation? A prophet of God. <laughs> and where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Okay, so we don't just see the extremity, like on the map, the extremity of his resistance to God. But we see the absurdity of it. I mean, think about it. The storm is getting so intense that it says they feared that the ship was going to break apart. You imagine being on a wooden boat. Have you guys been to Jamestown Settlement and like walked around on the boats? The boats were not that nice back then. But can you imagine like being on a wooden boat and hearing the wood creaking? Like it's about to snap in two. You're about to be lost at sea. Um, And what is his answer? They say, who are you? What's your occupation? What country are you from? And he says, I fear the Lord who made the sea and the dry land. He is on the sea. It said that he went to Tarshish to flee the presence of the Lord. He's like, I'm going to go to sea to avoid the guy who made the sea. (laughs) It's ridiculous. It's completely illogical. It's absurd. It's crazy. It's so much so that it's kind of hard to believe that this took place. And we can read that. It's very easy to go, well, we would never do anything like that. We're not that dumb. Um, Or would we? This interesting thing, um, 
especially if you're a Christian, you should be familiar with this idea that sin, rebellion against God, turning away from Him, is always at its roots deeply illogical. You're saying, I believe in the God who made this whole world, and I understand how He's made me to live in it, and I'm going to go against the operational manual and turn against the flow of the designer. It's, it's a crazy thing to do. Um, how are we afraid like Jonah? How do we turn away? I think uh, often this passage is, is taught and preached at like missions conferences at, at churches. You, a missions conference, if you're not from the church, is, is a, like a special Sunday at a church where they bring in people who've been sent around the world and they, to, do, to do evangelistic missionary work and they tell you about their work and they sometimes talk on this. But I don't think any of you are missionaries at this point in your life. Um, but there is a basic generalized call that Christians are to be people who are known for their faith and who talk about their faith to others. And that is something that scares you and me more than almost anything. Um, I've shared with you before how I dread my neighbors finding out that I'm a pastor. Um, we're afraid because it's awkward and it's weird, even though we know, well, God made this whole world and he is about his mission and if I am with him and serving him, why in the world should I be ashamed of that? It's a wonderful thing to tell someone. Um, But there's good news. There's good news. Even though we do illogical, crazy things like Jonah. It's not just God's or Jonah's resistance, but God's persistence that we see in the passage. Look at verse eleven. Let's keep trucking. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you? That the sea may quiet down for us, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Uh, It's really interesting that he says, throw me in. And they're like, well, let's try to save you first. Even though they're afraid for their own lives. I think it's kind of cool. Uh, these these uh, sailors are, seem like good dudes. Um, but, but the bigger thing is that God is being persistent with Jonah. Uh, he's being persistent with Jonah's person. Jonah as an individual. Jonah as a person. And I love that this storm is crashing like a hurricane has, has struck. And Jonah says, I know that this is because of me. Like God sent this storm. The prophet says, for me, God is turning him around. He's manipulating the forces of nature for Jonah to get him back where he belongs. Verse 14, let's keep going. Therefore, they, the sailors, called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. God is persistent with Jonah, not just in his person, but his purpose. Um, Jonah's job is what? He's a prophet. What does a prophet do? He speaks God's word to people. Um, And after being awakened and brought up on deck... He tells them the truth about God. He tells them about God's character. And then these men, these sailors, who 
were worshiping other gods and calling out to them, they call out to the Lord. They say, oh, Lord, save us. And um, it says that they fear the Lord and they make sacrifices to him and then vows to him after Jonah is thrown into the water. That's language of conversion. Uh, That's language of repentance. That's language of worship. They've just stopped everything and now they are worshiping God. And their language changes too. Before they said, call out to your God and perhaps the God, lowercase g, will help us. And here they're calling out, oh Lord, the personal name of God, oh Yahweh, save us. They are worshiping. Jonah is spreading God's kingdom in spite of himself. In spite of his resistance and rebellion. Um, a really good friend of mine, his name is Jay Simmons, and he planted a church in South City, St. Louis, that I was a part of, uh, and, and Dawn was a part of about 10, 12 years ago. And now he's planting another church uh, in Austin, Texas. And if you guys knew Mac Metter, uh, who was here a few years ago, we, we sang his the song he wrote last week. He's the worship leader for that church in Austin now. And it's like really cool for me to see two friends uh, come together like that. Uh, but Jay was telling me uh, years ago that when he was first converted, he'd had a long life of... He was converted, I think, around age 30 or so, maybe mid-20s. And uh, Jay had this friend, and in Jay's words, uh, Jay was badgering him with the gospel. Like he was just, every time they got together, it was Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's all Jay wanted to talk about, and it was really annoying to his friend. And the friend never listened and didn't want to talk about it, and it was just obnoxious. Uh, Jay was being obnoxious, not the friend. Um, and then uh, they were apart for a couple of years. Jay had gone and done some seminary work and he'd begun to study and deepen in his faith. And Jay had learned about this concept called predestination. Have you ever heard of that? It's in the Bible. Um, we can talk about predestination later over coffee. But this idea that, you know, God chooses who will come to him. And uh, his friend uh, was visiting and the, they were playing cards together at a poker night with some friends. And over, over poker, his friend said, Hey, Jay, you, know, you used to talk to me about Jesus all the time. Um, can, you, can you explain that to me again? Like, I'm really, I'm really interested now. And Jay looked up over his cards and he said, You know, truthfully, you're either chosen or you're not, so there's really no point in even talking about it. <laughs> Moving on. And like, they just kept playing cards. Like, that was it. It's like, you're either chosen or you're not, so why? I don't know. I'd rather just play poker. Um, done. Uh, which is hilarious. Um, scripture, you know, tells us explicitly, even if you believe in predestination, or especially if you believe in predestination, um, that, you know, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that is in you. You, know, you should be ready to talk about your faith, like especially if they're interested and you were trying for years uh, to get this guy to come around. Um, ridiculous. Absurd. Um, but then Jay said, uh, about a year or so later, they were at a wedding. And uh, at this wedding reception, the same friend comes up to him. He's like, Jay, man, I have not been able to stop thinking about what you said at poker night. <laughs> can, you, can you tell me more about the gospel? And like this, he is able to explain uh, who Jesus is to his friend. And he came to faith. It was pretty amazing. Here's the, here's the lesson. Even when we blow it. And do things either sort of crazy like Jonah or just like silly and dumb like Jay. God is still at work. God is persistent with his purpose of fulfilling the kingdom. Um, 
Okay, so Jonah's thrown in, and then the fish, Jan Gouch, swallows Jonah, um, and he miraculously lives inside of a fish. Maybe it was a shark, maybe it was a whale, for three days. And he prays this prayer in chapter 2 of repentance. Some say maybe he's kind of just trying to get out of the fish. Some others would say they think it's genuine repentance, whatever. And the fish vomits him onto the shore. We're going to skip chapter 2. That's what happens in chapter 2. Let's look at chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Sound familiar? That's how the book starts. We're picking up where it started two chapters later. So Jonah arose, and this time he goes, and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth, three days to cross the place. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. Then he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And then the king calls for the whole city to repent. Verse 9, the king says this, Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said that he would do to them. And he did not do it. It's an amazing result. It's an incredible thing happens. And Jonah, you know, he proclaims, did you notice like his message? Uh, you guys ever heard of the Jesus Storybook Bible? It's this really good, wonderful thing to read. I read it to my kids. The Jesus Storybook Bible version of Jonah, Jonah's message is like, God can't stop loving you. And he wants to forgive you if you'll just turn. And like, you read it here, he's like, 40 days and you're toast. <laughs> Done. Like, you're all going to die. Full stop. <laughs> like, that's the sermon. It's not this like gracious gospel message at all. Judgment is coming. Beware. But they respond, they repent. The king puts on sackcloth and ashes. Can you imagine, again, if you think like in terms of missions conference, like someone comes to you from another country and they're like, I went into a city and everyone in the city repented after I told them about God. Like we would be like, we don't believe you. (laughs) You're lying. Um, You just want our money. Um, No, but we would be thrilled. We'd be excited. We'd think it's great. And if that happened, like, for me, like, I'm, a, I'm sort of like a missionary to some people to this campus. If I was like, all of William, like, Taylor Reevely's covered in ashes. And he, you know, like, it's the best. He, 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 they're all calling out to God. Like, it would be amazing. I'd be so happy. I don't want Taylor Reevely covered in ashes. But um, look, at, look at Jonah's response. Verse 1 of the next chapter. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and he said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and resenting from disaster. Therefore, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. He's like a toddler. I mean, it's unbelievable. Uh, and the Lord said... Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and he sat to the east of the city and he made a booth for himself there. He sat under in the shade till he could see what would become of the city. The next point is Jonah's resentment. 
His resentment. And it's amazing. He says, the reason, the reason I didn't want to come here is I knew you might forgive them. This is ridiculous. The Ninevites are the worst. I'm appalled. Come on, God. And then he goes and gets in the booth. And perching on the side of the city to see what would happen, he's like, maybe he'll still get mad. And I'll get a fireworks show. That's what he's doing. He's like, I, I read about the fire and brimstone in Genesis. Maybe I'll get to see it here. It would be better for me to die than to live. Again, this seems ridiculous, but how do we do that? If you're, again, if you're a Christian, have you ever been resentful when someone else was converted? I'll tell a story to maybe help. Um, again, another friend of mine, uh, we were good friends. He was a couple years behind me. We went to high school together, and he was this wonderful dude. Just this faithful Christian guy. Um, and then he went to college, and he was actually in RUF uh, at, at his university. And some of his friends from high school who had been going around sleeping around and partying and doing all the fun stuff that my friend did not do got converted. And then the RUF campus minister started giving them all this attention. And then these guys were becoming Bible study leaders. And like on the small group slide later, like, come on, small group. We're studying James, you know. And he was, he was pissed. And he, he knew, he saw it, but he talked to me about it. He's like, what, like, where's mine? Where's my slice of the pie? What was all that for? And I just get to see these guys getting it. It's just like the older brother in that parable, if you know the parable of the prodigal son, worth reading in Luke, the Gospel of Luke. What do I have to show for all those years of faithfulness? I tell the story of my friend, but I remember as I was thinking about it, I felt the same way about some friend of mine who didn't go to the college I went to, but they went to Vanderbilt. And I actually heard that they were in RUF at Vanderbilt. And my initial reaction, I wasn't angry necessarily, but I thought, why are they there? Why is Chris at RUF? That's weird. Why would he go to that? You hear the self-righteousness in that? That's crazy. Why would a sinner want to hear the gospel? Because that's who it's for, Ben. What does that say that I think about myself? I don't really need it. I come as a luxury. I just kind of like it. But I don't really need it. Um... Who do you think doesn't belong here tonight? Not who's in the room right now. <laughs> this guy. <laughs> think about your friends. Think about your hallmates. Think about the people in your sorority. Think about the people in the chess club or whatever you're in. And who do you think they would never be interested? They don't belong here. Well, put it another way. Think about the anger stuff. Has you, have you ever been wronged by another person who you knew, if you're a Christian, knew that they were a Christian, and they came and apologized to you for it, and you think... Now, there's a, if you've been seriously wronged, I'm not saying quick apologies make everything go away. Okay? Quick aside. Abuse is complicated. Actions have consequences. Okay? But someone comes to you and they say, I am so sorry. And you might kind of say, I forgive you. And you know that God has forgiven them, but you're thinking, but you're going to kind of have to pay me back for a while. It's going to be, I'm going to get my pound of flesh. 
even though God has already given me his. We're not that different. I mean, Jonah's a toddler, and so it's kind of hard to feel like I would do that, but I think I actually maybe would. And I think I'm actually, maybe have, like Jonah waiting for the fireworks. Let's keep going. Verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. That's the only time he's happy in the whole book, by the way. (laughs) But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die again, like, I want to die, Um, and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant, which he's already asked him once. And then Jonah says, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Like, what a drama queen. Like, it's just ridiculous. Um... Let me ask you this. What's your... It's his creature comfort that he's... It's like, that was nice and shady, man. What the... What's your shady plan? What's your thing that if it was taken away, the moment it's gone, I wish I was dead. Um, we could go on and on. My, my clock's ticking. I have this little thing that tells me to shut up in my pocket. Um, uh, I'll, I'll give one example. I'll tell you this. I spend way more time worrying about what album I'm going to get on iTunes. I know about Spotify, but I still, I'm old school. (laughs) About what album I'm going to get next on iTunes than I do about my next door neighbors. Like, I'm way more worried about that, my creature comfort. And if that was taken away from me, I'd want to die. But there's good news. The good news is God's compassion. In spite of Jonah's resentment, God's compassion. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't even know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? (laughs) And uh, a lot of commentators think that 120,000 people is kids. They don't know their left and their right, like babies. Um, it could mean the whole city's confused and they don't know what's up and what's down. A lot of people think that's a, a phrase for children, which would mean there would be like 500,000 or more total population of the city. And I, I do love that he says, and the cattle. Hear the compassion of God. He's even, he even cares about the animals. And Jonah cares about the plant. Right? <laughs> There's this absurd contrast But the good news is that even when we don't care, God does. God cares deeply for Nineveh, and he cares deeply for my neighbors, and he cares deeply for the College of William & Mary and your friends. God loves William & Mary a lot more than I do, and a lot more than you do. Um, It says in the New Testament that Jesus... At one point, actually, when he was getting off of a boat, it said he saw the crowds, and it says, quite literally, he was heartbroken because he saw that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And out of that love and compassion, Jesus came. And there's a story in the New Testament where Jesus is on a boat asleep in a storm, and he calms the storm with his voice. 
And he later says, I will give you the sign of Jonah. Someone greater than Jonah is here. Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days. I will be in the belly of the earth and rise again. Beautiful. Jonah wasn't good enough. He wasn't a good enough prophet, but there was one coming who would be. Who would be everything that Jonah wasn't. Because God had compassion for Nineveh and for Jonah. So there's a bitter and sad irony of this book, though. And it's really funny because how it ends. It just ends with this question. It's this really abrupt stop. You see this irony all through the book. Jonah is running away and the pagan sailors repent. Jonah gets to the city and the king is covered in ashes and Jonah walks away angry. There's this contrast for the original readers, the Israelites. Their representative is self-righteous and angry. And the bad guys, the evil ones, are turning and worshiping God. And God is saying at the end of the book to Jonah, and the book as a whole is saying to us, they're repenting. Will you? I care about this. Will you? And it ends with this weird dissonance, just this abrupt stop, so that we just sort of have to live with the tension of that question. It doesn't tell us what Jonah does. It doesn't tell us if he changed. Except that Jonah wrote this book. The prophet Jonah wrote the story. And he tells the story on himself and ends with that dissonant chord at the end of the book. To give us the same tension that God gave him and to offer to us and saying, They repented, will you? The Lord has compassion. Will you join him in it?